Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody. It's great uh, to be together with you today. Um, I'd like to start, uh, if you will, uh, with an image. So go with me to uh, my desk in my office at my house. Um, uh, You don't have to have seen it before to sit with me in this place for just a second. Um, Here's what you need to know. Uh, I like to file things chronologically, right? So oldest stuff on the bottom, newest stuff on the top. Some people call them piles or stacks. Um, and so uh, I am surrounded at my desk uh, by books that I'm reading or referencing. Uh, I'm surrounded by projects that are uh, maybe mostly done, but not quite finished. I'm surrounded by uh, coffee cups. Again, also filed in chronological order. I'm surrounded by mail that needs to be filed for tax purposes for next year. Um, I'm surrounded by uh, clothes that uh, I've worn, but for a little bit of time, and they're not dirty, and I don't want to wash them until I've worn them, so they're stacked up. Uh, And then I have a bowl of peanuts uh, that I'm working through uh, this week. So uh, all those things sort of sit around me right now. (coughs) To me, this, this doesn't feel... I'm not a messy person, right? I don't think of myself as messy, but no one would accuse me of being tidy. Uh, this is a not uh, an uncomfortable place for me to sit. Um, I, uh, I know right where everything is. If you want me to go find you something, I know right where to go to to find it. It's kind of all organized in, in my head. But some of us feel that we maybe just should close the office door so that we don't know that it, it exists. Uh, but here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to have to do a project that I don't want to do. I don't know what that project is, but I've probably been waiting to start it because it makes me feel uncomfortable and I'm anxious about it and I don't think I'm going to do a good job. And so I've just been pushing it off and putting it off and pushing it off, but I can put it off no longer and I have to start. <coughs> so I'm going to work up the courage to do it. <clears throat> I'm going to get in my chair. I'm going to slide up to my desk. I'm going to open my laptop and I'm going to start. I'm going to stare at my computer screen for about 30 seconds, blankly. And then I'm going to close my computer screen and I'm going to clean my desk. Uh, I am a master procrastinator. cleaner. Like that's what, uh, that's what I love to do. Um, anytime there is something that I feel like I can't control, I try to control the things that I can because it lures me into a false sense of belief that I'm actually in charge of the things that are happening uh, in my life. You with me? Like maybe this isn't your thing, but I suspect that all of us have a thing that's just like that. We want to do what we can to get the chaos, uh, the anxiety, the anxiousness of all the things that we have to accomplish outside of our lives. Um, And I think we do this with our whole lives. Um, We uh, actually, uh, there's like a defense mechanism that the psychologists call compartmentalization. uh, And I am not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. I don't even play one on TV, Um, though I am an epidemiologist now, apparently. Um, 
But when life feels like it's out of control, we try to put things in their proper place. It's like we step back from a second for a second uh, in those moments of uh, fear or anxiety or complexity or stress or pain or whatever it is, and we want to put all of our life into these nice, tidy boxes. Because, because when we do, it gives us a false sense of control over the things that we feel like we have no control. Uh, it lures us into this, uh, this feeling of safety and security like we actually are in control of things that we're not. Uh, so we put our work life in one box. We put our kids in another box. We put play or vacation or rest in another box. Maybe we've got a box for home or a box for house. Uh, or maybe we have a, an extended family box or a me time box or a church box. And then once we get everything in those nice tidy boxes, everything's in their proper place. It feels good to us. And it feels so good that it feels almost natural or instinctive, right? We might even call it good because when we're dealing with one box, we're able to just deal with all the expectations that people have of us in that place at that moment in that time, regardless of who we're asked to be in other times and in other places. All we have to do is show up uh, and, and be that. <clears throat> and then when we're done doing that, we can put all those things, including the anxiety of those that moment, that space of our life, we get to put it back in the box and just slide it on the shelf and pretend like it doesn't exist. But um, this is a false sense of control and it costs us something. It prevents us from experiencing something that's good that requires a little bit of mess. Uh, consider with me just for a moment, a second example. Um, my family and I just went on a, a trip uh, with my extended family on vacation. We rented a house together and we all stayed there together. Um, and we packed, uh, in addition to the five of us in our minivan, uh, more than should have fit into the minivan. I knew we were in trouble when we set it all out before I masterfully packed it into the car, might I add. Uh, and my wife said to me, I don't think it's all going to fit. And I said, hold my LaCroix. Uh, and then I did. I packed it all in the car. It was great until my daughter said, Dad, where am I supposed to sit? And then I realized we had a problem. So I unpacked some things, let her get in, and then packed those things back around her. But when we all got uh, down to the beach and we got out in the driveway, smelled the salt air, we walked into this house, this place that was going to be our home away from home, and it was pristine. There was no chaos there. It smelled great. The sand was all swept up. There were no dishes in the sink or the dishwasher. Someone had made the beds. It was the perfect temperature. It was just great. Everything was peaceful and restful and harmonious. Ah, vacation. And then, but not a moment later, we were like a little flurry of ants carrying leaves and larvae from place to place. We started unloading everybody's car, right? Everybody brought too much stuff. That's just apparently what you, we had more cars than we did family units at the beach together, which is our like, bringing coolers and food and clothes and games and toys and beach chairs, everything just sort of coming in, filing in one after another. And that house was never the same. Now, presumably there was a family before us and presumably there was a family after us. And there were moments of no chaos in between. But for family to exist in that place, chaos had to exist. Messiness had to exist, right? We came into the midst of everything being in its pristine place and we ruined that with family. Right? There were laughter and stories told and uh, people yelling at each other and people running through the house and then people shushing the people who were running because the babies were trying to nap. And we told stories and we told jokes and we ate food and my brother lost at a game and stormed away. And then he came back the next morning and pretended like everything was okay. And it was great. This is family, right? But family's messy. I've met one family one time that wasn't messy uh, and they were faking it till it fell apart. Um, family, community, 
brings chaos. Family brings mess. You can't have a good thing without a little bit of that messiness and that complexity. To, to try and get rid of all the chaos in our life, it, it creates problems, right? It, there's a cost to it. There's an emotional cost to it, first and foremost. There's an emotional cost, the psychologists would remind us, um, when you're trying to be two different people in two different places. We would call that cognitive dissonance. There's a, a cost to it um, when we think we can kind of put our work stuff on a shelf and go home and not take it out on our kids. Like we just carry things around with us in ways that if we're not honest about them, we are not paying. There's a, there's a cost to these things. But like I said, uh, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I'm sure those of you that are have been squirming this whole time. Um, but I'll, I will leave that work uh, to you. If you want to go read more about the emotional costs of compartmentalization, uh, I'm sure the website, uh, the uh, internet has plenty of websites for you there. Um, I'm not a psychologist, but I am a follower of Jesus. Um, and I'm also a master compartmentalizer. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in my life doing just that. Um, and I recognize, have recognized, continue to recognize that every time I do it, whether I'm doing it intentionally or inadvertently, there is a cost to my life of those decisions. I try to come up with a way of like just saying what I think that cost is most clearly. I mean, it's like almost one of those things that you can feel sometimes easier than you can explain. Um, and here's, here's how I think I would explain it if I could say it clearly and concisely. For me, the biggest cost of living my life in boxes is by keeping God boxed in, I box God out of the other spaces in my life. And a boxed out God cannot transform my boxed in life. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I love good worship. Uh, and by good worship, I don't mean like when everything in worship goes smoothly. Uh, as a leader of worship, I recognize that that's re rarely the case. Uh, by good worship, I mean when I show up. Now, sometimes this is, again, on purpose, and sometimes it happens uh, accidentally or when I'm not expecting it. Um, but when I show up, and I show up as my whole self, and I'm ready to connect with the, the divine, um, and I find myself in a moment of worship, it it fuels me up. Man, it just feels so good. It feels so good. It's like I can lay for a second <coughs> all the all the stress and the burdens of life. I can just put them down. I feel free from those things for a second. I feel accepted and loved and cared for despite all the reasons that the opposite should be true. Um, maybe it's a word of scripture that reminds me that I'm loved. Maybe it's a, a line in a song that lets me lay it down. Like what, whatever it is, like those moments are just sweet and beautiful and good. And when I'm in those places, they make me feel great. And, and when I'm done and I package those things up and I slide God back onto the shelf in his box for the week, uh, I then turn around, maybe not even intentionally, and I head out into all the places that I live and work and play, prepared to push the boulders up the mountain by myself, prepared to lift the unliftable burdens by myself, uh, prepared to do all the undoable tasks by myself. And as soon as I've chosen to put God back in the God box, and we've had a lot of debate around here about whether uh, the God box is the same thing as the church box, or those are different things. I'll let you make that decision uh, for yourself. But when I, when I leave a worshipful place, when I leave a churchy place, when I leave a godly place and I put God uh, back on the shelf, it's like I'm committing myself to head out into the world and to do whatever I have to do by myself alone. And when all of my life is in all these boxes, <clears throat> I feel like, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the the, the uh, clip of a guy named uh, Eric Brin. He's on the Ed Sullivan show. He spins plates around. 
Um, when I've got my life in boxes, it's like I run from box to box. I'm always taking a box off and putting a box back on. All the expectations that exist of me are like all another thing that I have to do. I have to go be a son and a father and a husband and a follower of Jesus and a pastor and an employee and a colleague. It's like I run around all the time. It's just my life becomes sort of consumed in going from box to box and place to place. It's just like I'm trying to keep all of these bowls and plates uh, like Eric Bryn has uh, just just spinning. And what's so ironic to me about this whole thing is that putting my life in boxes was an attempt to control the chaos. And now in my attempt to control the chaos, I've actually created the chaos that I was trying to avoid in the first place. And to make matters worse, because God is in God's box on the shelf, I am in the chaos all alone. Let me be clear. This is not God's design. And this is not God's desire. God desires um, to offer us a holistic salvation. Sometimes when we say the word salvation, we think of it as uh, is solely like a spiritual reality. So God's going to forgive us of our sins so that when we die, we can go to heaven. And that is true. None of those things are untrue. It's just not the fullness of the truth of what God means, what scripture talks about, what the gospels talk about when they talk about salvation. Salvation surely has a rich spiritual component to it. But the same word that we use to talk about that spiritual component of salvation is the same word that we use when Jesus heals real-life people of real-life infirmities. It's the same word we use when Jesus unbinds real-life people from real-life burdens. It's the same word we use when Jesus feeds real-life people real-life bread. All of this... All of this is salvation. God desires for us to have a rich and full life in every capacity. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He cites the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. We are called to love God with all of ourselves, every capacity that we carry, every aspect and energy of our life. God doesn't want to just save part of us, one box in one place at one time. God wants the salvation to enrich all of our lives, both in this life and in the life to come. In John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, um, <clears throat> Jesus, I think, kind of gets at this. He's talking about how his opponents desire to take away life. Uh, they want to kill, right? They want to take away our, our life. And the, the word there for life would be bios. It's the word we get from like biology, right? It's our breathing and eating life. Jesus says, I came, this is like his thesis statement, right? Uh, this is the project that Jesus is up to on behalf of the divine. This is uh, not the only time we get a, a thesis statement from Jesus, but it's one of them. He says, I came that they have may have life and have it abundantly. He uses a different word here. He uses the word zoe, it's Greek. Uh, it means uh, like a, a quality or an essence of life that is a gift from God. Um, it means, uh, I like to call uh, think of it sometimes as like the good life. The problem with calling it the good life is that we have come to associate the good life with all sorts of things that I really don't think uh, that Jesus means. It's a, a certain quality of life uh, that is a life shaped and formed and hidden in God. It's uh, not the good life with the stuff and the things that we normally associate with the good life. It's a quality of life that's richer and fuller than that because of love. It's a life that's worth something more than we could ever make or acquire. It's a life that gives itself away to others. It's a life that's transformed by the grace of Jesus. It's a life lived both now and later, now and forevermore. It has an eternal quality to it. It's a quality of life that is abundant and overflowing. And this is what Jesus has done, right? In Jesus, 
the remarkably incomprehensible, enormous, huge God that created all things seen and unseen. That God, who could easily remain aloof and removed from all discomfort and all pain, took on flesh and became like us in every way so that God could be active and alive and invested in our everyday, ordinary, walking around life. Paul leaned on these words, this understanding of salvation, this understanding of life, when he said to the people in Athens, in God we live and move and have our being. God desires to be proximate and present in our life so that the fullness of our life can be changed and transformed by the love of God, so that every part of our life can be good, whole, complete, tove, as it should be, now and forevermore. This is God's desire, and this is God's design. Now, right now, um, in life, I don't know about for you, but I suspect I'm not alone in this. Uh, it just feels like we're doing all the things all the time and all at once. Uh, it's so much. It's so much. It's so much. Um, it comes with so much anxiety. It comes with so much like complexity. Um, and the fall in general, always seems to feel that way to me. Uh, everything's cranking back up from the summer, like any respite or lull or kind of rhythm you got into over the last few months when things died down and all sort of different aspects of life, they all start kind of cranking back up again and football's coming back and your kids' sports are coming back or like whatever you got, you know, work's ramming back up. Um, so it's just like already we're in this kind of general season and now we're getting ready to enter into the fall. It just feels like these things are about to multiply. And, and when they do, I know what I want to do. I'm going to want to compartmentalize. I'm going to want to put everything back in a box. I'm going to say, oh, this is too much. Before I do anything, I need to, I need to just get everything lined back up. Let me put my work stuff back in my work box, my life stuff back in my life box, my home stuff back in my home box, whatever it is. And I, well, I know it about myself. I know that's what I'm getting ready to do. And I know that it's going to cost me something. And so we would like to make a different invitation. We want to make an invitation to an integrated or a holistic discipleship, an everyday life kind of discipleship. Uh, that's an invitation to say yes to a God who is not aloof and removed, but active and invested in every part of your everyday life. That's an invitation to allow God to shape and form every aspect of your life. That's an invitation to trust that God wants to be at work in every aspect of your life. And it's a hope. It's an invitation to hope that God desires for every aspect of your life to be good. We want to help uh, not just say these words, but help that become true for you. And we've got some ways that we'd like to partner with you this fall. Uh, one to mention, and there are many, but one to mention today um, is uh, we want to help everyone that's connected to our church family. We want to help you own your own faith. We want to help you have a faith, right? We want to help you come to faith. Uh, we want you ultimately to lead others to faith. But in order to kind of connect those two dots, uh, we've got to own our own faith. We've got to figure out how to live, live a life of faith, live by faith. And so um, we think that there are a couple tools that we can give you, uh, no matter whether you are uh, new to the faith, new to uh, following Jesus, uh, or whether you are a mature follower of Jesus, you've been doing this for a long time, uh, or you know anywhere in between. We believe that there's some tools that we can all use um, to own our own faith. And uh, so we'd like to try to give you uh, access to some of those. One of those, uh, one of those that we're going to call Core One Everyday Discipleship. Uh, we're going to kick off this fall. Uh, it'll be a chance for you to figure out what it looks like to pay attention 
to the activity and to the presence of God in your everyday, ordinary, walking around lives. Um, we believe that God is active and present, invested in your life, and we want to help you figure out where that is and figure out what that means. Um, and so uh, that's going to be happening. Also, we're going to be doing this series, Life in Boxes, How to Hold It All Together. Um, in a time where it feels like you can't hold anything together. Um, and so uh, you can hang out with us uh, on Sundays or you can check in during the week uh, and worship with us whenever you worship. Uh, so we're going to talk about why it's good, that it's possible, and how to do it. Um, those are just two of the ways, again, that we'd love to partner with you. I'd like to end with an invitation, uh, some words from Scripture uh, that come from uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, these words are kind of uh, in the voice of Jesus, in the voice of God. I think they echo and reflect words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and followers in Mark and Luke. Um, they are addressed to the church at Laodicea. And I would make the argument, and maybe we'll later on, that the church in Laodicea is really, really good at putting things in boxes. They show up on Sunday morning, they worship in a particular way, then they put God back on a box and they go and they work in a very different way during the week. Uh, they show up and they celebrate things in the presence of one another, in the presence of God while they're at church. They slide God back on the box and then they go to their homes and they celebrate very differently, uh, very differently. And uh, Jesus wants to make a different invitation to them. And so Jesus says these words, uh, Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Turn around. Don't keep doing this. Turn around. Different way. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Uh, this morning, I think Jesus is standing at the door of every single one of our boxes, knocking and inviting us to, to let God in, to let God shape and form our hearts, uh, to let God make that part of our life good. And a boxed out God cannot transform a boxed in life. I hope you'll join us this fall as we wrestle with what it looks like for us to let Jesus in and hold it all together. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, and while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Arena area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.